And good morning again. I am really excited to be here. I uh, was a full-time installed pastor in various Presbyterian churches for about 35 years until I retired in 2017. And any chance I get to be able to come and share God's word with people uh, in worship uh, is just, I, I leap at the opportunity. So I couldn't have been more happy when Pastor Paolo uh, gave me a call. Uh, my wife and I uh, worship down at Sparta Evangelical Free Church now, and occasionally I serve other churches uh, around the country who need someone to fill in for a month or two or even three for, uh, for whatever reason. This is my wife, Kathy, right here, uh, putting her hand up. And uh, uh, we also have three grown children, uh, twins, who are 26, named Natalia and Johnny, and their younger sister, Angela, and uh, she is 25 now. Is that right, Kathy? I, it changes every year. I cannot keep track. <laughs> but uh, we are just so proud of, of all of them as well. And uh, <laughs> it's funny, I put in my... And we have a, a big... Kathy said, it's, you put beautiful golden retriever. It's a much more accurate description would be say he is a lazy golden retriever. So I am just, again, thankful to be able to be here this morning. I want to tell you a story I heard about a little boy who uh, went to church for the very, very first time in his life. His grandmother took him, and uh, so he had never seen any of the things that we do in churches. It was all just new and unfamiliar territory to him, but he was curious, and so he'd ask his grandmother. You know, they would say, please rise for our opening song, and he'd go, what does that mean, Grandma? And she goes, oh, well, it means that, you know, the Bible tells us we're to sing a new song to the Lord. So we're going to stand up and we're going to sing a song that just lets God know how much we love him. And he said, oh, that's really neat. And uh, then uh, a little while later, they said, uh, let's confess our sins. We, I'm a Presbyterian tradition. We do that every Sunday because, well, we're Presbyterians. And, and it's a good thing. It's a good thing. And so he said, what does that mean? And she said, well, I'm gonna, we're going to pray and we're going to tell God the things that we are sorry for and, and ask for God to forgive us, knowing that he will through Jesus Christ. Oh, boy, that's fabulous. That's really cool, Grandma. And then the pastor went up and he stood at the pulpit. And uh, before he started going, he took his watch off and looked at it and he set it down on the pulpit right in front of him. And uh, the little boy said, Grandma, what does that mean? And she shook her head and said, nothing at all. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word that we've heard this morning. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts can be acceptable in your sight. For you are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Did you notice that there was one word that was repeated three times in this morning's scripture lesson, a couple times near the beginning and, and then right at the end, and if you look at it carefully, it's, it's the theme for this entire passage, and that word is rejoice. Rejoice. Because Paul, as he's writing to the Romans, knows that, that joy is something that, on the one hand, so many people in the world are, are desperately lacking, but on the other hand, that's supposed to be a central core of the Christian life, the joy of Jesus Christ. But the reality is, and I know you've experienced this as I have, is that joy, when we find it, is, is sometimes uh, easy to have for a while, but it's, it's very 
it's very difficult to hold on to because there are, are certain things that are thieves in our lives that try to steal away our joy. What, what, what steals our joy? Well, first of all, bad things that happen. You know, you're going along, it's a perfectly good day, and then something, you get some bad news about health or about your job or about your kids or whatever. And that bad, those bad things can just knock us down sometimes. And the second thing that steals our joy is when good things don't happen. Now, we are expecting to, to have this, this, this blessing come in our life. I've worked really hard, and so I should have an easy retirement. Or I'm, you know, I've done good at this, and so I'm expecting this. And, and when good things that we are anticipating don't happen, that joy can, it seems like it can be stolen away. And if you put those together, and lots of, there are lots of reasons to be depressed and miserable. I was surprised to hear this, that in a poll done last year, only 12% of Americans described themselves as very happy. And that's a shift, because back in 2018, that's not that long ago, 31% of Americans described themselves as basically happy. And, and look at the news. I, I pulled open my news feed on this morning, and it's just one bad thing after another. It's the war in, in Ukraine, and it's, it's some crime that's been committed. It's the fires in Maui. It's a, it's a whale that died at an aquarium in Florida. Just sad and depressing item after depressing item after depressing item. And yet God, through the Apostle Paul, speaking to the Romans, but also through the Holy Spirit to you and to me, tells us to rejoice. In Romans 5, he gives us three reasons, three aspects of the Christian reason, of, of experience that can bring us joy. Now, to understand this, I, I need to give you a little lesson in theology, and I, I know that sometimes when a pastor mentions theology, it's like, oh no, here it comes. But I notice that you guys are having an apologetics class, so I assume that that means you guys are, at least some of you, are, are, are into, into theology, and that's a good thing, because although theology is often taught in boring ways, good theology is, is really empowering for Christians. So I'm going to wrap this up a little bit in some easy-to-understand images. Paul describes our theological position before God this way. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So here's our first reason to rejoice today. I am justified by faith. Now, justification is another one of those good Christian words that, uh, that we as good Christians use frequently. But I'm convinced that, that the vast majority of people don't really understand the full depth and breadth of what that word justification means. And that might be why, one of the reasons why it's so easy for us to walk around with long faces when 
The gospel of Jesus Christ should be filling us with joy. Justification, according to theologians, this is their definition, and I tell you in advance, it's not going to help a lot, (laughs) is imputed righteousness. Okay, so that's theologian talk. But if you understand what imputed righteousness means, the word imputation is actually a bookkeeping term. And it's what Paul described uh, back in chapter 4 when he was talking about Abraham. Paul said, what the scriptures say, Abraham believed God and it was credited or imputed to him as righteousness. So let's make this a little bit more practical. I would like you to picture one of those old uh, accounting offices that you might have seen in the old movies. This is the kind of a room where you've got wall-to-wall books, and the bookcases go all the way up to the ceiling, and they're leather-bound. And when you walk into that office, you can can smell the paper, and you can smell the the leather and the oils that have been put on to preserve those books over the year. And so the bookkeeper goes over and very carefully takes one book out of one of those shelves. And I discover, because I'm the one in this story, but it applies to you as well, I discover that on the book's cover is my name, the account of Jeffrey Hayes Wildrick. And the bookkeeper comes over, and on his great desk, he opens that that book, and a little bit of dust comes out of it, and I see inscribed at the top of the page these words, the life of Jeffrey Wildrick, and then listed Underneath my name is a record of all of the sin that I have been a part of in my life. Every vile thought, every word spoken in anger, every uh, action that was done that hurt someone else to make me feel or, or look better, every falsehood, every opportunity to do good that I walked past because I was too busy or too afraid. And at the bottom of that page, that record of my shame, it says the full sum of Jeffrey Hayes Wildrick's sin, transgression, iniquity, and guile. And I want to tell you right now that there are so many things on that page I would never want anyone to see, to expose that to the light of scrutiny. And I imagine, I imagine that there are more than a few pages you would rather not have turned and made public in your life either. So as my book lies there on the table, the bookkeeper goes over to another shelf and he, he put, pulls out a book and this book has inscribed in gold letters on the cover. Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. And he opens that book and takes a pen and carefully writes on one of the pages, transferred from the account of Jeffrey Hayes Wildrick, the sum total of his sin, 
his transgressions, his iniquity, and his guile. And being a good bookkeeper, he now comes out over back over to my book and, and he puts a bold stroke across all of those <clears throat> terrible things that are listed on that page. And he writes another entry at the bottom saying, transferred to the account of Jesus of Nazareth, son of God. Imagine that. I can, I can almost see it, it happening in my head. As I see like all of that, that pollution and, and evil and shame that I carry in my life, like a great noxious ball that, that flies through time and space from 2020, 2023 in Wattage, New Jersey, back to Jerusalem in the year 33. And it lands upon the shoulders of Jesus Christ. And, and all of that is, is absorbed into his body and into his soul. And crucified with him forever on the cross of Calvary. Now, now let me tell you something. Let me ask you. Is that a wonderful thing? Amen. Yes. Smile when you say that. This is an amazing thing. This is something that, that is life transforming. It is only half of imputation. Because now that bookkeeper, that bookkeeper goes back to the book with Jesus' name on it. And he turns to the next page. And what we see written on that page is a list of the glorious life of Jesus Christ. And it is the sum total of his righteousness. And the bookkeeper now, at the bottom of that page, writes, transferred from the account of Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, Son of God, to the account of Jeffrey Hayes Wildrick, the full righteousness of Jesus, our Savior. And looking over again to my book, transferred from the account of Jesus, the sum total of his eternal righteousness. And the same thing is true for every person who turns their, to faith in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus' capacity to bear human sin is unending. And the quantity of his righteousness to share is infinite. That is the doctrine of imputed righteousness. That is what the Bible means when it says that we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ before the Lord our God. And when you understand that little bit of theology dressed up in understandable language, you cannot help but rejoice. Believers who understand our theological position can rejoice regardless of our circumstances. No matter what the circumstance in your life, 
you know that you are justified by faith and therefore have peace with God and can stand in grace before God's throne. Now that would be enough, but Paul goes on. Because the next part of the reason we can rejoice is that my hope is assured. He says, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, hope is a wonderful thing, and what I've discovered is that there are actually two kinds of hope. Uh, totally different ways we use that word. Uh, an example would be if I, if I went up here, and I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget it, to High Point Regional High School. Is that where your kids go from here? Some, Some of them do. Well, that's where I'm going, anyhow. <laughs> And I'm going to walk into High Point Regional High School, and I'm going to start wandering the halls, and I see a young man coming toward me. And that young man, you know, his, his hair's a little bit dis disheveled, and, and he has kind of a glassy-eyed appearance. It's like his eyes are following some invisible fly as he walks down the hall. And, and I, I come over, and I say, oh, good, good morning. Good, and he says, good, good, good morning? And I said, yeah, hey, uh, I'm just curious. I'm asking different students. You know, what, what are your plans for after you get finished with high school? And the guy says, well, um, I've showed up for a lot of my classes, and I'm still managing to pull a D average, and so I, I, I hope I'll graduate in the spring and and." I don't know what I'll do after that. <laughs> I go, well, good luck to you, young man. <laughs> I walk a little farther down, and I find a, a uh, smartly dressed young woman. She's got her school books in her arms. And I, I go up to say, hi, uh, you know, tell me about yourself. She goes, oh, well, I'm... I'm a student here. What's, what's, your, what are, what's your dream? He said, oh, well, you know, I, uh, I've been working really, really hard. I've been taking uh, advanced uh, mathematics classes, and, and I've been, you know, doing straight A's in my, in my other classes, and I study pretty hard every night. I make sure I get things turned in on time, and um, I hope to graduate in the spring and, and, and head off to a good college. I said, I bet you will. But you see the difference in this? The first, that young man, he used the word hope, but it's kind of a hopeless hope. It's almost just wishful thinking. But for this young woman, when she used the word hope, it wasn't wishful thinking at all. She was expressing a certainty based upon her current position. A hope in which there was overwhelming confidence. Christian hope is a hope of confidence. The confidence in a God who is committed to his eternal glory. Confidence that as a person who has been justified by faith, we will be caught up in God's glory and therefore be absolutely assured in sharing it, not just now, but for all eternity. When you look to the future, what do you see? For many people, 
the future is, is a question mark. For some of them, it is bleak. For others, the future basically looks non-existent. But if we understand, again, our theological position with Jesus Christ, a believer can look to the future and know with sure and certain hope that what it holds is glory. And nothing can keep us from that future. Why? Because we are justified and place our hope in the faithfulness of God. And we can rejoice. And then, another reason for our joy is God's present grace. Paul says, Romans 5.2, We have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Now, remember who his audience is, his original audience here. He was writing to this, to the church in Rome. Sometime in the, you know, 40s or so A.D. And if you understand what their lives were like, for him to to speak like this is, is perplexing. Among other things, most of the Christians who were living in Rome were poor. They were also living under enormous pressure. The the, the emperor in Rome at that time, I'm sure you've all heard of him, was Nero. And when we hear of Nero, what we tend to think is Nero playing the fiddle as Rome burned. But Nero, in fact, was one of the absolutely most ruthless, bloodthirsty, evil kings in the history of the ancient world. We have a record of the way that he treated Christians. Uh, you can, we can read it in a book that's called Fox's Book of Christian Martyrs, which was drawn from the earliest writings of the early Christians. Here's how Fox describes life under Nero for Christians in the first century. In particular, Fox says, he had some sewed up in the skins of wild beasts and then chewed on by dogs until they died. And others, he dressed in shirts made stiff with wax, fixed them to posts, and set them on fire in his gardens in order to illuminate them. Wow. They were living under persecution for their faith. They were suffering in ways that you and I can only imagine as 21st century Christians living in the United States. But in the midst of their suffering, they also had hope. And Paul Paul encourages them to rejoice in the midst of their sufferings. When we live in hope, because we know we are justified, then our whole attitude toward the pressures of life changes. 
Now, nobody needs to raise your hand, but let me, the, well, yeah, let me, let me ask you to raise your hands on this one. Is there anyone here who has pressures in your life? Stress. Yeah. Of course you do. We all do. We have pressures at home. You might have pressures on the job. You might have pressures you know, in your family, an extended family. Pressures due to illness. This is a stressful, stressful world that we live in. Everyone has pressures like people and circumstances that are trying to push us down. And yet, Paul says that no matter how great those pressures are around us, and not to minimize those pressures and sufferings and stresses in any way, that we can stand. We can stand in the grace of God. If grace meant that through Jesus Christ our past sins are forgiven, that would be enough. If grace meant that through faith in Jesus Christ we have the sure and certain hope that we will share in the eternal glory of God in heaven, that would be enough. But, But grace is so much more. I think that a lot of us who are adults, we have a tendency to look at kids and go like, oh, if only we had the simple problems that children have, right? Wouldn't that be great if that's all we had to deal with? But I would like to suggest to you that we have, are using selective amnesia to remember what childhood is actually like. Do you remember the terrible pressures that you used to suffer when you were a little kid? I mean... Do you remember how, how stressful it was when you knew that the next day you were going to have to take a 10-problem math test? Do you remember the pressure and the, the pain that you felt when you lost your new ball? Do you remember the, the, the overwhelming suffering of losing or breaking your new airplane? And then, of course, the worst of them all. Do you remember how hard it was? And I mean really hard. When mom or dad said to you, no, we're not going to do anything else until you clean your room. (laughs) If you remember clearly, when you were a child, you only had the abilities of withstanding pressure like a child. When you were a child, those pressures were almost unbearable. But now, as adults, those things seem, may seem trivial to us because we're at a different age and dealing with different things. But don't discount how hard childhood is for kids. They aren't so carefree. I, I remember when my kids uh, were completely stressed out about something. When they were just, just afraid and... and if I could see that they were you know, just about to that point where they were going to break under whatever it was that they were, were worried about or afraid of uh, or, or felt that they couldn't handle, that, you know, that my wife or I, one, either one of us, would go up to them and stand close to them and say something like this. It's okay. I'm here. 
you're not alone. And we can handle this together. I'll help. And the Almighty God says this to you, quoting Isaiah 41. Do not fear because I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. What a promise. Jesus picks up on this same theme as he's about to return to heaven, knowing that the the disciples and the future generations of Christians will not have his physical presence with them for who knows how long. But as he is about to ascend into heaven, he says to us, Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It's okay. I'm here. I've got you. And even if this is too much for you to handle alone, we're going to get through it together. And so the Apostle Paul said to the Christians of Philippi, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. That's what the Christian life is about. This is the gift that God wants us to grasp fully. Joy. The ability to rejoice in our present pressures and in our future hope because of the surety of our forgiven past and the daily living presence of God with us through the power of his Holy Spirit. If you're struggling today, and I know some of you are, you're not alone. Circumstances may change, but God still loves you, and God will provide you with the strength to persevere. And if you're not struggling this morning, congratulations, it's coming. But in the meantime, remember that often the way that God is present in the lives of those who are enduring pressures that seem unbearable now is to send one of his people who are maybe in a better spot circumstantially to provide encouragement, hope, and help. That's why we have the church. At any given moment in the life of this church family, there are some people who are just about ready to buckle under the pressures of life. And there are some who are going through a better period. And if you're one of them, God has a ministry for you. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we rejoice with those who rejoice. We mourn with those who are mourned. We are responsible for one another. And you may be the presence of God in the life of someone who's struggling right now.
because he's in you. Let's pray. Lord God, we realize we can't be happy all the time. But we can still hold on to the joy of Jesus Christ in our lives, even when we're down. Knowing our future hope, knowing your presence with us now, and knowing what you have done for us for all eternity by forgiving our sins that were justified through you. Lord, help us today if we are, if the, the person who's down here, that that person will be able to, to reach out to you and that you would make your presence felt by them in a supernatural way. For those who are doing great right now, Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear those who need the touch of a fellow believer to listen, to hold a hand, to walk beside. We are so grateful, Lord, that we don't go through all of this alone. And we thank you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.